Hey everybody, welcome to Grace on Tap. I'm Jordan Evans. I'm Ashley Evans. And uh, we actually have a very special guest with us today. Um, this is Casey, the Casey Bolton Crocker. The um, Casey. Dr. Crocker. Everyone who ever watched Boy Meets World will get that reference. Uh-huh. But um, Casey is quickly, has quickly become one of our best friends. We talk almost every day and um, kind of become a spiritual advisor. He is, in a way, uh, a pastor in my life and a teacher in my life. And I, I look up to him. And um, so we, we have some questions with him. And because he operates in both of those gifts so well, almost in an apostolic sense that he's stepping into, um, we, we want to ask him some questions and interview him. Um, but first, before we do that, Casey, why don't you introduce yourself real quick? And then uh, we'll start transitioning into questions. Uh, yeah, my name is Casey Crocker. Uh, currently live in Brooklyn, New York, uh, with my beautiful and lovely wife, Samantha. She is amazing. Um, and yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, what, what, what kind of education are you working on right now, Casey? Uh, currently in pursuit, uh, of a graduate degree in biblical literature with the emphasis in New Testament studies. That's awesome. That's awesome. Would you uh, say it's lit? It's it's biblet. <laughs> it's biblet. Yeah. Um, so, babe, why don't you kick us off real quick? And um, what what are you reading right now, and how's it impacting you? Um, I am currently reading "Think, Learn, Succeed" by Dr. Caroline Leaf. Um, I typically finish books in a week, but I've been on this book for almost two months because I'm in school now, and ain't got time to read. But it's super good. Um, it goes pretty much in depth of the rewiring of the brain and discovering the different methods that people use to change their habits and different methods that different people use to learn because there's not really a one size fits all with learning. Um, So it teaches you how to discover your methods, what best works for you and even how to kind of alter to bend around what needs to be learned, especially like in a public school system, there's not really a lot of options. It's just kind of, this is what you need to learn now learn it. So just kind of how you can kind of bend into those. Um, Just a lot about mindsets and whatnot and mental health per her usual. But it's super good. I Honestly, I think that book, I think Dr. Caroline Leaf's books should be the first like mandatory read outside of the Bible or accompanying the Bible (laughs) when you become a Christian, personally. A little communist, but okay. Yeah, well... Um, I, um, I, uh, I won't I'm, deny it. I'm currently reading <laughs> Saving Calvinism by Oliver D. Crisp. Um, so I, I first got turned on to this dude through a ministry called Rethinking Hell. If you need to save it, was it already predestined to die? Rethinking Hell is a ministry that puts forth a view known as annihilationism or conditional immortality. And uh, Oliver D. Chris wrote this book, Saving Calvinism. The subtitle is Expanding the Reformed Tradition. And uh, it's essentially uh, saying, hey, you know, you don't necessarily have to hold all five points to be a Calvinist. There's actually a wide range of views held within the Reformed tradition. Um, Brings up even like universalism and Trinitarianism and how that falls within the Reformed tradition and and Karl Barth and C. Baxter Kruger and all these cool guys. Um, so if you are, I interact with a lot of Calvinists and I think that it's really, really important to, uh, understand that you can't pigeonhole all of them. You can't like 
try to put them in a box and, and say that they all hold to the same view. Um, there is a lot, a lot of uh, different um, views within the Reformed tradition itself, including Calvinism. Um, so, Casey, what are you reading right now? Um, before I get to that, uh, Jordan, are you trying to say that Calvinists are people too? Yeah, that's essentially what I'm trying to say. Yeah. All right. Calvinists are people too. They're um, pre predestined to be um, humans. Humans. Yeah. Okay. I hear All right. Your statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm reading a few different things right now. Um, reading uh, a couple books on sexuality. Uh, in the Old Testament and ancient Near East. One of them is called Flame of Yahweh uh, by Davidson. Um, And another one is called Out of Order. The title sounds a little aggressive. Um, A little bit. Not not user friendly. Probably not the most progressive. Uh, No. Uh, It's called Out of Order. It's by Wold. W-O-L-D. And then reading uh, a book that's actually really good called Stories with Intent by Snodgrass, exactly how it sounds. Uh, and it's just on the parables and it's really good. Um, yeah. I'm aware of it, I've heard of them and yeah. probably some other books that I've been reading. Um, yeah, awesome. reading those things. And those are, but those are books for your degree. School, yeah, they're books I'm reading for school. If I'm reading for fun right now, here you go. <clears throat> reading a lot of books on Dungeons and Dragons. Oh. Come on. Uh, big oh, fan wow. of the D&D because it's amazing. Okay. Uh, I played it back in high school for like five years. Yeah. Is this the thing? Is this like a, like a board game or is this a video game? Uh, neither. This is the... Oh. So it, it's, it's a been, lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually LARPing, live action role playing. Uh, no, just totally teasing. Him. Oh, I was like, oh, okay. People do that and it is fun. Um, but yes. Uh, so it's a tabletop role-playing game. Okay. So okay. it has been turned into a board game, but that's not originally what it was. It has been turned into a video game. Also not originally what it was. Oh, okay. But uh, big fan currently leading a group of people from my church, C3 NYC. Uh, through just a campaign called um, Storm King's Thunder. So you go to a satanic church then? (laughs) Uh, No comment. Uh, (laughs) The comment is no. Storm King's Thunder. Yeah, no, I love it. I was expecting like a Sons of Thunder kind of one, but Storm King's Thunder. There's just a lot of different words happening. Is it a com? Are there commas between? Nope. Okay. Well, he's the he's the king of storms and thunder. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, that is actually exactly pretty much what it is. Uh, but yeah, so it's fun. Basically, anybody that likes Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter would love Dungeons and Dragons. Both of those. Things. I've never seen or read Lord of the Rings. Uh, we're working on that. Yeah, I do love Harry Potter though. I watched it and I didn't get demon possessed. That's good. Contrary That's good. to popular Contrary teaching. To Jared <laughs> Oh my gosh! Have you uh, have you seen the previews for the new Fantastic Beasts? Yes. Yes, that comes out in a couple of weeks, doesn't it? Yeah, I think on November sixteenth. Yeah, a few more days. I'm so excited. Um, I love all it. right, well, let's go ahead and transition into question time, and uh, we like to keep our conversations free flowing. We don't want it to be too static. 
So Casey, even if you have a question for us that you'd want to throw at us, um, you know, we're, we're open to that as well. But um, I would throw out there that Casey's rather rabbinical and that you ask him a question and he replies with a question. Yes. Which ruins my, I, I, I like that millennial microwave thing where I ask you a question, you give me an answer. I'm not looking to think further about it. <laughs> I want you to just give me the answer. I have, I have a theory that a lot of people, I have a theory that a lot of people that, uh, that are mesmerized by the whole <laughs> uh, rabbinical teaching style with answering a question with a question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> really, like, I just, I'm just trying to figure out exactly what you're saying. <laughs> or, or, or I zoned out. It sounds really wise, but you're really just trying to say, like, I didn't understand the question. <laughs> I've watched enough Star Wars to know how to make not paying attention look like I'm really deep in thought. Yoda it. Um, all right. So. Oh, you couldn't hear my, oh, you can't see my like, wave thing. Um, podcast. First question. And uh, Kevin sneezed. Kevin sneezed. First question. Um, Casey, is uh, my Bible living and active? <laughs> no. An active lifestyle? No, it's my Bible. <laughs> More of a sedentary. <laughs> Is my Bible, my, my NIV Finline reference, is my NIV Finline reference currently breathing right now? Is it living and active? Is it sharper than a two-edged sword ready to pierce? I don't understand. This. Is this an inside joke? No. <laughs> okay. Just, just, I want to put it on mute now, and he's just going to tear up some theology. One, two, okay. three. Well... While many people have received paper cuts from their Bible, it is in fact not sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's not living, and it's not active. And uh, it's, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a very interesting idea, but I would say the answer is no. Uh, the Bible is not what the author of Hebrews was talking about just like the Bible is not what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, I think they were talking about um, something very, very different than the 66 books of the canonized Protestant Bible. Um, but yeah, that's how I'd answer that question. Okay, so with that in mind, um, what do you believe that the word of God is, or who? Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to go, or where? <laughs> no, uh, I think <clears throat> while many of the Old Testament authors referred to the scriptures as the word or words of God, often the living God, uh, I believe that scripture is emphatically clear that Jesus is the word of God. The son is the word of God. And John 1, 1, uh, when he opens it with, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God, uh, he's not talking about the Bible. Uh, the Bible, though, ha uh, though may have some divine attributes, it is not a deity. Um, that's typically what I mean when I say that uh, scripture is not sentient. Um, it is not 
capable of thinking on its own. It is not capable of meditating on I, uh, the self. It is, it's not, the Bible doesn't really even say anything either. That's something that uh, I've been really thinking about a lot is when people will say, well, the Bible says this. Um, no, not really. And it's kind of simplifying it to uh, a really unhelpful degree. Um, but to bring it back, uh, I think Jesus is the word of God. I think Jesus is, uh, the word that was, um, with him and is him, uh, since the beginning. So, um, if Jesus is the word of God, then Mm -hmm. how should that, uh, what is the primary role of the Bible of the 66 books of the canon? What is the primary role of the Bible? Uh, I think I think the primary function of the scriptures are to be supplementary. Okay. Uh, they are to aid you. Um, I don't think the scriptures are the basic instructions before leaving Earth, um, though that's a cute little witty, you know, acronym. Um, I think. I think when we start deifying a book, we get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so if we refer to Jesus as the word of God and we hear Holy Spirit referred to as the breath of God, um, how... I'm like trying to like word this correctly in my head. If they are all their own entities, why is it that it keeps coming to the Godhead? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like why are they coming out from his? Yeah. Entity? yeah. Uh, I think, um, I think each member of the Godhead has, uh, their own name, as it were. Um, I know, I mean, first off, I think to even have this discussion, we need to be able to embrace mystery from the forefront and understand that dogmatic statements on this topic are uh, unnecessary uh, at, um, at best and a sign of immaturity at worst. Um, because we really, we, we don't know. Uh, we can have theories and all that, <clears throat> but it's still a valid and worthy conversation to have because it provides depth to spiritual growth. Uh, and that's always a good thing. Um, when, I, when I speak of the Godhead, I, that is a, a term that I use to describe um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not sure, like, I think, I think the father is the father. I think the son is the son and the son comes from the father. And I think the spirit is the spirit and the spirit also comes from the father. Yeah. Um, but together they make the Godhead. Yeah. So, so back to the question about, um, you know, what's the primary role of, mm-hmm. of, of the scriptures? Instead of just saying the Bible, I'm going to say the scriptures. Yeah. Um, 
what is the primary role of the scripture? Back to that question, that is, um, how should what you said regarding that, how should that influence Bible teaching itself? So not just seminary teaching, not just, you know, um, uh, you know, just, you know, stuff, but actual like pastoral teaching ministry. How should that influence our teaching of the text? Yeah. Um, I think fortunately, uh, for us, but some might say, unfortunately, um, it means that you need to study. Uh, it means that you need to look into the historical and cultural context of the day um, in order to, to teach it um, accurately, but also teach it with the depth that it has. Um, to a slight rabbit trail, when we view the Holy Bible as this divine book, um, we can run the risk of embracing a surface level interpretation as being the accurate interpretation. Um, because people will say, I don't need to study to read the Bible. I open it up and Holy Spirit teaches me. Um, Holy Spirit will lead you to truth and Holy Spirit will teach you truth, but Holy Spirit is not about bypassing the process of learning. Uh, Holy Spirit's not about bypassing the process of personal growth and um, self-development. Um, I think it's valuable to read your Bible. But to bring it back to your question of how do we teach the Bible, I think we teach it best from a historical point of view with how that impacts us today. Because um, the Bible is not written uh, to you. Um, some people say the Bible wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. Sure. I mean, it's a philosophical statement that you really can't argue with because we don't know. Uh, if something was done for someone that implies intent and that's up to God. Uh, Cause then it gets into the inspiration aspect side of thing. But Paul was not writing the Bible to you. Uh, John was not writing it to you. Peter was not writing it to you. You could argue that they were writing it for you, but I don't know. I mean, I think about the people that will come after me in a few generations. Was Paul thinking like that? Perhaps in some areas, yes. In some areas, I don't know. Um, well, in some areas, definitely not. You know, talking about head coverings and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it impacts how we teach the scriptures uh, from a very um, fundamental place of it cannot mean today what it did not mean then. Can there be some revelatory application that comes from that. Sure. We see Jesus do that all the time. We see Paul do that all the time where they take scriptures out of what we would say their historical context was and ascribe meaning to it. Yeah. Um, but what's fascinating is they never say that that's what that passage meant. It yeah. speaks of a fulfillment, uh, which in turn speaks to a revelatory nature. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what would be, um, 
kind of piggybacking off that a little bit. So we teach the Bible historically, we teach it contextually. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do, how do we incorporate the spirit into that? How, how do we teach the Bible historically, contextually, and uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit? Um, it's a great question. I think, I think we do that through I think we I think we do that through maintaining uh and cultivating our relationship with Holy Spirit. Uh and what I mean by that is this. Um a buddy of mine many years ago used the illustration of uh, carrying a hot cup of coffee to represent the the idea of living and walking with the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, and he said that if I give you a, a steaming hot cup of coffee, you're going to walk and interact with your surroundings differently than you would if you weren't holding the steaming hot cup of coffee. Yes, that is true. Um, that's called awareness. That's called mindfulness. And that's what we as believers are called to, uh, having been unified with God and having God's spirit become one with our spirit. That necessarily means, if we're going to engage in it, that we need to walk in, a, in mindfulness. I think we do that when we read. Um, I think, uh, if I could rewind time back to, uh, when I was an undergrad, um, I have, uh, I got my undergraduate degree in biblical studies from a small private school in Houston, uh, called college of biblical studies. And, uh, it's kind of like a branch, not really a branch off, but it feeds into, uh, DTS Dallas theological seminary. Um, and while I was there, um, I also, outside of the classroom, was encountering God uh, in ways that I would read about in Scripture. Uh, I began to have prophetic dreams. Um, uh, I began to uh, see things um, in the Spirit. I began to see things with my physical eyes. Um, I would, uh, see people get healed, uh, uh, of what some might call menial things, headaches, sinus issues, etc. but also, uh, what others would call bigger things, broken bones, um, uh, torn muscle, uh, tendons, um, things that were necessarily impeded in their function and then mere moments later had full function. Um, All the while studying in this academic environment where some taught that that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Um, And looking in the, in the moment, I was not aware of what was going on. Um, but looking back on it, I realized that Holy Spirit was actually leading me and guiding me in truth. Um, the professors would say some things and, uh, I would feel, this is where vocabulary like 
falls short 100% of the time. I would feel like almost this, this vibration in my spirit uh, that was kind of like a, when somebody tells you something that's true and while you may not have been aware of its truth prior, when they tell you, you're like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Yeah. Right. Um, that would happen a lot. Yeah. So it's almost like an agreement in your spirit. Yeah. Uh, conversely, sometimes the professors would say things and nothing. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't aware of what was going on at the time. I, I wouldn't know. I wasn't cognizant of anything happening. Um, or rather I wasn't cognizant of any like motive or purpose to what was going on when I would experience those things. Yeah. I just thought, Oh, that's really cool. I'm going to write it down or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I remember looking back when someone was asking about uh, what John, the beloved was talking about. And first John, when he said, you don't need anybody to teach you um, because you know, you already have the spirit of truth within you. Um, it was one of those like light bulb moments of Holy Spirit revealing what that verse actually could mean. Uh, I would say actually means, um, but I don't think I would be dogmatic on it. Um, Cause a lot of, a lot of charismatics and Pentecostals will use that verse to say, I don't need to go to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't need to study because I have the spirit of truth living inside of me, yet I'm willing to wager every single one of those charismatic and Pentecostals uh, are willingly accepting the indoctrination from their pastors at church. Mm-hmm. And they would never say they don't need that. Yeah. Right. Um, so um, I don't know why they take that verse so aggressively because it's not like, it doesn't even say you don't need, teachers it says you don't need someone to teach you like that's a very different thing um but i think i think what's going on there is when we when we study the scriptures uh to try and bring it back to the original question when we study the scriptures or when we're teaching the scriptures we need to be cognizantly aware of holy spirit's presence in our life yeah we need to we need to be aware of the small voice we need to be aware of the the checks or the flags that may be raised or ticked in our spirit. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just to, to kind of piggyback off that question as well. Um, what about, um, why do you think it is mainly the charismatics and the Pentecostals that are so anti-academic? Uh, I think it, that scripture literally, and they're trying to like, uh, to honor that text. Sure. Or do you think that there's just, there's like another reason behind it? Yeah. Um, honestly, I think a lot of it may have to do with fear. Mm. Uh, there's this misnomer that knowledge is um, against faith. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's so silly. Yeah. It's so <laughs> silly. It's not silly because, uh, you know, it's, it's silly because you cannot have faith without knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Period. People say, you know, you keep your, you know, your knowledge. You could go study. You go to seminary. I've heard pastors from the pulpit knock on seminaries and knock on studying and all that. And it's like, oh, well, you're silly. 
but it's not um, knowledge and faith are not pitted against each other. You yeah. can't yeah. have faith without knowledge. You can't have faith for what you don't know. Yeah. Period. Um, and most people don't realize that that knowledge is actually the wineskin for faith. Yeah. That's um, my faith grows the more I study. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what I'm reading. It could be on all the different Hebrew words for sex or sexuality or whatever. And um, my faith is growing in that. There's an awareness that's growing in that. Um, I think... I think people can be hesitant uh, to study because they're afraid that they're going to study themselves out of their faith mm. and they treasure their faith. They treasure their relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And there's a fear that if they listen to a quote unquote, another voice, then something bad is going to happen. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's fear in the sense of like, um, I'm, af- you know, I'm afraid to go skydiving. I think it's a fear in the sense of the unknown of like, I don't know what's on the other side of this door. Yeah. Um, every time we, every time we meet someone, every time we go to class, every time we pick up a book, what we're doing is we're, is we're making an agreement with something that we don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. And that doesn't mean your faith is going to die. It doesn't mean that your, you know, ability to hear the voice of Jesus is going to be diminished. Um, it means that you're going to grow more as a human being. And so I think people, I think, I think the Charismatics uh, and Pentecostals, in a general sense, are hesitant um, to to take studying seriously. Is a because they've seen a lot of bad examples of it. Uh, I have friends that uh, are very different after going to seminary. Uh, And I have other friends that aren't. Um, And the issue isn't that they went to go study something, you know, at all. Uh, The issue is that they personally failed to honor and nurture and respect their relationship with their dad in heaven. And that's, that's the issue. The issue isn't that they went to school. The issue isn't that they, um, you know, picked up a book that's bigger than the Bible. Um, it's that they failed to maintain the intimacy with God. So you would say that, that, that fear that maybe the Pentecostals and charismatics have, and again, not all Pentecostals and charismatics. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah of like Gordon Fee and some of those guys that are like, yeah. 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 So if that is a real fear, um, and you're currently pursuing a graduate degree, I still have a year or so until I'm eligible to pursue mine. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what do you practically do? So moving from more, some of the theoretical stuff into more the practical, what are you practically doing to like nurture your relationship that keeps you grounded? while you're off like studying all this cool stuff that um, I mean, to be honest, when, when you start studying, we were, we were having a conversation a few weeks ago uh, about the old Testament and some of the theories of how the old Testament was put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the first time I heard that, that was like faith shaking. And I was like, Oh wow. Like I don't be learning this stuff in seminary. Like, I don't, I don't, 
want to go to seminary. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's, um, man, and see, like, that, that stuff can mess with people. When that stuff messes with us, and it, it's messed with me before, too, like, it's when, when stuff like that messes with us, what it's revealing is um, a degree of uncertainty yeah. um, that's being challenged. Um, if I could go back to one of the first questions you asked briefly um, about the nature of scripture and its purpose and things like that. I was talking with a friend um, earlier this week and uh, I shared with him something that I think to be uh, true. I think that one of the worst things, um, and it's going to sound very dramatic. I don't mean it that way. Uh, but I think one of the worst things that's happened within uh, the Western church is the compilation of the writings to be in a single volume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think they were, I don't think there was any hidden motive behind doing it. I think it was a very practical thing. I think it was, wow, we have a lot of scrolls that we consider to be inspired. Um, and we want to keep reading them, but I can't fit all of these scrolls in my canvas tote. You know, I can't fit all of these scrolls in my backpack. Um, Camel can only carry so much. Right. That's, you know, let's not, you know, let's not throw the camel out with the bathwater though. Camels are great. Um, I think that, I think when we have, when we, when we compile the 66 books um, into a single volume, we, we started to run the risk of thinking that this was one thing. Yeah. And it's not one thing. Yeah. It's uh has several authors. It's written over a period of uh, if I if I remember correctly, I want to say fourteen hundred years mm-hmm. from three different continents. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. There's so so much context that needs to be seen when you open your Bible. Yeah. But we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. We talk about going to Lifeway. Or if you want to be sneaky, go into Amazon to save a little money and not support our Christian brothers and sisters in business. We go to Lifeway. I actually go instead of having it delivered to me. <laughs> right. We go to Lifeway and we look at all of these translations mm-hmm. um, and we make judgments based off of aesthetic. Yeah. We look at the boxes, we look at the font, we look at the, 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 the graphics on the boxes, and we, fit, we, we find one that appeals to us to be what we would consider the best. Yeah. Uh, whether that means most reliable, whether it means uh, easiest to read, uh, the most inspired translation, which is kind of funny to think about in and of itself. Yeah, it's the ESL. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <clears throat> Uh, but we like, and we make all these little micro judgments, uh, because we think that this single volume is so mysterious that we need someone else to tell us what it means. Yeah. And, um, it's, 
we, we, we look at this one book and then we think of it as it's a singular source. Mm-hmm. And then you take that and you start couple, coupling it with what we talked of earlier of um, the Bible having um, what I say it jestingly, but I think that there's weight to it, but having sentience. Yeah. The Bible doesn't say anything. The Bible does not live. The Bible does not move. It is not breathing. It is not like the Bible is timeless and as much as truth is timeless. Yeah. Right? Uh, the Bible is not a deity. It's not, you know, you have the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit sitting around a table with their coffee or whatever, and then there's the Bible right in the middle of them, and they're just, it's not what it is. Yeah. Uh, maybe it is, and if it is, uh, then I will, you know, change my mind, and I'll repent, and I will link arms with truth, but <clears throat> I, I don't think that's what it is. Yeah. And I think if we could... And I, th- I think this is going in a step in the right direction with um, the initiatives of uh, Adam Green when he did the Bibliotheca, uh, which was great. Um, and a lot of other mainline translations are picking up on that. Um, I think the, we've made steps in the right initiative uh, or in the right direction with the initiatives of removing uh, chapters and verses and paragraph headings. Yeah, like- I remember uh, in undergrad, it was like 2010, uh, I was emailing back and forth with uh, Crossway <laughs> saying, hey, will you please do a translation without chapters and verses and paragraph headings because they're not original and there are people like me that would love to read it without all of the distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, they never emailed me back or maybe they said they were working on it. I can't remember. Well, Crossway does have it. one now. I know they do now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is great. I used to work uh, at the family Christian store. And so there was like, yeah. it was back in Dallas too. So yeah. like everybody from DTS like came flooding in when that was of released. Course. The, yeah. I think they call it the reader's Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have one. They came in, like, me, right? flooding in there. When I worked at family Christian store, you could tell who was from what school by mm. what book and what Bible they were going for. Like I could see what's in their hand and be like, I know you go to Christ for the nations. That's so <laughs> like, funny. Oh, yeah. I know you go to Southwestern. Yeah. Oh, the message. Christ for the nation. <laughs> yeah. Most of them don't use that. <laughs> but like we I think we need to I think we need to demystify the Bible. Yeah. Um and I don't think that's a bad thing to say. No. Um Absolutely not. we we I think we pursue scriptural study the same way that we would pursue studying anything else. Yeah. Um and the issue is that that will offend some people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm offended. I could tell. Uh, but that will offend some people, but it offends them because they've separated it. They've yeah. created this dualistic understanding, either knowingly or unknowingly, that to study the scripture is different or better than studying Revolutionary War. Yeah. Uh, when in fact, if you're pursuing truth, it's one and the same. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, so where do you fall on, I actually think we've talked about it before, but um, I know that there are some people um, who like to, who, who believe that there are like hidden secret meanings throughout all of that, like over the past 2000 years that nobody has ever seen, no one has ever connected. And, and, and in my mind, it's almost like a, 
I see it as borderline Gnosticism. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I just, I, yeah. there's like the secret hidden knowledge, the secret hidden revelation. And in my mind, time and time again. Of never, the Bible or what? Of the Bible. Okay. Like in the Bible. I was like wondering where you were going with that. Secret mystic hidden revelation. So like the national treasure of the yeah, Bible. Yeah, like the national, like Nick Cage. That's, that's, that's real. I believe in that. <laughs> that's a joke. Nick Cage. <laughs> I'm going to steal the Torah. <laughs> um, Nick Cage actually he he comes out of my Bible whenever I read it. Oh, yeah, good. no, he does not. <laughs> but I do love Nicholas Cage. I think he's a wonderful person. Yeah. That would be so sick. I would not have to study anymore if I had those glasses. It would just tell me exactly what the truth is every single time. How nice would that be? Um. So yeah, what what are your thoughts on that? Like just the because it's, it's mainly within like charismatic circles and i know that that's kind of the circles that, that yeah walk in yeah. yeah um if someone were to say that they believe there are elements of truth or understanding um within scripture that has never before been revealed, I would say they are wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I would say um, that they're being silly. Mm. If people say that there are elements of truth or understanding that are uncommon in present day circles, I would say you could very well be right. Yeah. Um, but that's because there is rich history yeah. uh, between each and every letter yeah. in the scriptures. Yeah. Um, uh, I heard uh, someone talking about a message <clears throat> that a guest preacher spoke. Um, and... Uh, they were talking about something in the Old Testament. Um, and it was about, I think it was about tithing, probably. Mm. Um, and the guest speaker was preaching out of a passage in Exodus, I think it was Exodus, where um, God uh, had the priests kill a lot of uh, their own Israelites because of a disobedience kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy added the number up of all the people that were uh, slain and then um, configured some guesstimations on the amount of people that were in Israel, uh, of the people of Israel at the time, and um, then presented his case to say that the reason that happened was because uh, they were not tithing because the amount of people that were slain were 10% of the population. Uh, it's, uh, I think when people start doing things like that, it gets really, really messy Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, unnecessarily messy. Uh, and I would say if people think that there's stuff like that within scripture, um, I would say like, you're, you're going to find what you're looking for, but that doesn't mean it's actually there. Um, but like, uh, I think there's a lot of weird stuff that's mentioned in scripture that we don't know. 
like um i'd love to i have a i'm in the process of compiling uh, a series of messages on uh hard sayings in the bible um that actually will reveal just how uh good god is but also just how um rich the history is one of them is i think it's in deuteronomy 25 uh maybe it's numbers 25 i think it's deuteronomy 25 um where god is giving um israel the regulations for taking wives from conquered nations Mm -hmm. and he lists all these things um as stipulations for them to do uh if they choose to take a, a wife from a nation that they just conquered and defeated yeah um, and people like this is this is horrific. Like your God is encouraging all sorts of wrong things. Um, and at a surface level, yeah, it's, it sounds really weird, and it sounds kind of heavy, and it sounds like, oh wow, God, what are you doing? Yeah. But if you look at it in line or in hand with the the cultural context of the ancient Near East, yeah. Uh, what you see is that God is actually having the men of Israel treat those women with dignity. Yeah. Um, Like having, having having them taken care of. Yep, exactly. And we read that from a 21st century perspective uh, where um, the Me Too movement is a hot button topic. Uh, Feminism is a hot button topic. Uh, The, the conglomeration of all men are trying to hold women back is a, is a very common theme that's going on right now. Um, and then we, we take that lens and we look at that passage and we're horrified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go back into the day and you look at how other cultures, because there's so much writing back there, so much writing uh, from other cultures uh, about, human rights, um, about business practices, about laws, about civil duties. Uh, and you go back and you read those things and you realize, wow, that may sound horrific from a 21st century perspective, but what God was doing was already trying to change culture. Yeah. Yeah. Already. Absolutely. Uh, or like the passage in John where Peter tries to, you know, cut off the ear of that, the uh, servant of the high priest. Yeah. we, we read that and chalk it up as Peter missed, but like, okay, come on. Like <laughs> if you're going to cut off someone's head, you're not going to be going in a downward motion for one. Yeah, uh, physics. Yeah, right. And two, like, it's not like he was wielding some like William Wallace bastard sword. Yeah. It, this, the swords I had back then were like short swords. Yeah. It, it would have been something along the lines of like a Roman short sword, yeah. which is not unwieldy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, go ahead. My pocket knife is bigger than that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> mind, I forget what movie it's from. I probably shouldn't be quoting the movie, though. I know it's got the... Anyway, like he's like, I'm going to cut your face off and put it on my face and wear it as a mask. He's like, you don't have the the skills or the hand-eye coordination to perform that kind of... Oh, procedure. that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Super bad? I think so. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. That's just uh, but we, we read that passage in John and we're like, oh, I don't know what that means. You know, it's a really weird, random piece of history. But like, first off, uh, the people of Israel 
people in general 2000 years ago were not idiots they were not dumb yeah not at all like they found archaeology has found um zoos from the assyrian culture uh they have found um documents from first century um mediterranean like cultures uh i think they found them from greece and from israel but where they would rent out jewelry hmm we have that today and we think it's such a novel idea. You know, celebrities, yeah. <laughs> they don't own anything they wear on the red carpet because they rent it. And look at how novel we are. We, we find a way to get what we want. They were doing that 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Like, it's, it, we're not, it's not like they were imbeciles, you know? Yeah. And so when you read these things that were written 2,000 years ago and there's random details, it's not because they were dumb and they rabbit trailed. Paul yeah. rabbit trails all the time, but there's meanings and you could see his thought line behind it. Yeah. But like Peter cutting off his ear and then, and then Jesus, um, healing the guy. Like yes. I have a, um, I was teaching on Jesus will defend your enemies from you. Yeah. It's based yeah. on that passage. Because if you, if you go back, uh, to, uh, the Torah and you look at uh, Levitical law, you could not go into the Holy of Holies if you had any sort of deformity. Yeah. Any sort of deformity. You could not go in to do your duties. If you were a servant of the high priest, not of the Sanhedrin or whatever, but like of him, you were like his protege. You were his disciple. You were his uh, trainee, right? The guy was in line to be the high priest. Yeah. If his ear was deformed, he could not have gone into the Holy of Holies. He would have just lost his entire career, quote unquote. I believe Peter was very intentional in his strike. I think he didn't want to kill him. I think he just wanted to maim him. Yeah. Deform him so that he could not do his job because this guy was trying to take away his savior, his rabbi. Yeah. The rabbi that gave him a chance when he flunked out of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, all, the, all the, the 12 disciples, they were all dropouts. They were rejects. They were not chosen to go on to the next level of education, wow. which is fascinating that God would choose a bunch of rejects yeah. to um, do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, but if we read that passage at just surface level, we have no idea what's going on. Yeah. We have no idea. But we read that passage and we now have a far better understanding of the nature and character of Jesus, a.k.a. Yeah. the nature and character of God, yeah. that he will defend um, your enemies from you. Yeah. Because we're called to love them, yeah. not attack them. That's good. That's good. Um, and he also healed the person that's trying to kill him. That's insane. Yeah. That is insane. Very so good. you're not going to see those things. Um, you're not going to make those connections if you don't study, if you don't read, if you yeah. don't learn. Yeah. Um, and your faith is, is strengthened and widened. We want a wide faith. Yeah. But you got to study to get that. Yeah. So essentially what you're saying is that um, there, there, there's not going to be any like hidden gnostic knowledge found in scripture but enlightenment enlightenment but there is insight that can change our understanding of the text 
Um, and, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that uh, even the even though we, we may not agree with absolutely everything, mm-hmm. um, the, the new perspective on Paul movement is largely a part of that. Um, mm-hmm. And whether or not you agree with like their understanding of Judaism and all that stuff, the, yeah. the scholarship of yeah. Mike Gorman and N.T. Wright and, and yeah. all it's like yeah. impeccable you cannot like tear these it's down. huge yeah but there's they huge. are changing the academic world of christianity right now yeah um so so just to shift gears and we're going to end it here in a here in a minute uh one final question for me and then if you have anything i don't uh, know if mine would go too long or if it would be a one word <laughs> like a one sentence answer but we can try it um so okay. my, my final question is um, we've covered is the, the Bible living and active. We've covered, um, h- how that influences how we teach the Bible. We've covered, uh, how that influences our understanding of the text. Um, how should, um, let's see the right wording. Um, Casey, what should be the heart of a teacher? Mm. Um, well, as a teacher, you are a commissioned teacher, a fivefold teacher. Um, what is your heart regarding the text and regarding people? Um, I think um, I think people are not a project. And I think a lot of teachers can treat people as projects um, for their own prideful, you know, pleasure or ego. Um, I think people are a treasure, not a project. And I think the scripture is um, invaluable uh, in a believer's life. Yeah, uh, I think the heart of a teacher is, is going to be um, someone who wants to in, encourage others to have their own discoveries along the way. I think the heart of a teacher is someone that's going to be uh, someone that encourages people to wade out into the deep waters mm-hmm. and wrestle with things for themselves. Yeah. Um, while I think... Um, indoctrination often gets a bad rap um it's not always a bad thing however i think there is a a weight to personal study and 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 growth that uh far outweighs any other level of just accepting somebody else's teaching is true yeah um when you do that, you, you not only familiarize yourself with uh, the surrounding issues and what people say on them, but you also, it strengthens your co- conviction to what you believe. Yeah. And so I think that a teacher, um, and uh, yeah, I would say a teacher is, is someone who encourages people to wade out into the deep on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, while walking with them along the way and, and providing that place of safety and security to do so. Yeah. Um, you won't find um, 
you don't find pearls floating at the top of the ocean. Yeah. That's good. Um, you find pearls in the deep places. Um, and you find pearls in places that you often wouldn't think to look. Yeah. Um, and so, oh yeah, that's what I would say. I would say a teacher is someone who, who treats people as people, not as projects. Um, and the, the impact of that is huge. They will walk with them. They will not, um, uh, they will not reject them if they don't get something. Um, I think Eric Gregson has said it very great, uh, greatly, uh, when he said that, um, like if, if you're a teacher and you say, well, I taught them and they didn't get it. So it's not my fault. That right there is a disqualifying statement. Yeah. Um, you didn't teach them. Yeah. Uh, you just talked at them. Um, and so I think that's true. Uh, I think a teacher looks a lot like a parent mm. and that they care for the, uh, their students uh, because they see the value in every little decision. Yeah. They see the weight in every little decision. Um, and I think they're going to be, uh, I think they'd be, a, I think a, a teacher acts as a guide, but also acts as a safety net and will also point people in the directions of depths that they could study on their own. Yeah. That's good. That's good. You have anything else? Oh yeah. If this doesn't fit into our thing, we can just cut it out and like edit it. No, we can't. Yeah, we can. Um, <laughs> editing software. Anyways. So I wanted to pick up almost I, from the text conversation that we had either earlier this week or last week, but reworded in a, in a question of what are your thoughts towards if this would be a two-part question what are your thoughts towards terminology on ideologies and theologies that we know like we can say these things especially like more of an academic realm to say these different um, ideologies and we understand what we're talking about because in our heads we know like this belief has all these bullet points compared mm. to this belief has all these bullet points and yeah. we and the contrast, however, kind of in our discussion where we were talking about what if other people have a misunderstanding or even just a different understanding of what we are saying when we use this terminology, um, specifically with theological things of saying, like, I hold to this theological view and another person can shut you down because they're like well, yeah. what's wrong because this this and this and you're like i don't hold to that i don't understand you yeah know, yeah what are your thoughts towards using the terminology and then also how to have a more personable conversation with people in disagreements especially when it holds so much bearing on a misunderstanding of that definition yeah. Um, I think, I think one of the first things to do when you have questions like that or conversations like that, rather, I think one of the first things to do is to, um, take, uh, quote unquote authority of the conversation by laying out the groundwork. Yeah. Um, so if someone, um, for example, earlier this week in class, uh, had a um, uh, 
disagreement and a debate with another classmate uh, on uh, determinism and sovereignty. Um, and we were coming from two different places. And if you come from two different places, the likelihood of you arriving at the same place is very, very um, low. But if you start at the same place, oftentimes you will finish at the same place. Yeah. Um, she was defining sovereignty as determinism. Mm. Uh, and that's not what sovereignty is. That's not sovereignty. That has never been that. Yeah. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. Yeah. Uh, sovereignty speaks of having control over something, not necessarily being in control of something, as in authorship, right? Yeah. So um, a very uh, good example of this would be like, um, uh, Lazarus, uh, dying, right? Um, Jesus did not cause that to happen. No. Uh, you could argue that he allowed it to happen by showing up late. Uh, but that would be an argument from supposition really. And, um, I don't think the argument is very good. Um, because allowing does not equal authorship. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Jesus having sovereignty over life at its core was able to do something about it. Right. And he did. Yeah. Um, she, my classmate disagreed with me and said that that's not what sovereignty actually means. And I was like, okay. Uh, so when we're having a discussion of things based off of beliefs or anything really define the terms. And so if, if you see, and this is for anyone, uh, if, you, if you're having a dialogue with somebody and, and you can feel uh, dissonance starting to take place in that conversation because what they're saying is clearly not what you're saying and what you're saying is clearly not what they're saying, but there doesn't seem to be any cohesion going on in that dialogue, mm -hmm. hit pause and like, hey, can we define some terms real quick? When you say X, what do you mean? Okay. When you say Y, what are you like what are you implying with that why why did you mention that um because labels are very very helpful but they are only helpful if you know what they mean yeah yeah right yeah. and so we oftentimes will have these dialogues about life or scripture or theology and we're familiar with the terms but we don't actually know what they mean and that creates a, a big mess yeah uh, and so I would say to, if you're in that position, if you find yourself in that place, hit pause in the dialogue and be like, what do you mean when you say this? Because I want to understand what you are saying so that I can understand what you believe. Yeah. Or I want to understand what you're saying so that I could know if I actually agree with it or not yeah. and vice versa. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that would be hugely helpful for any sort of conversation that we're having, whether it is concerning theology or life, or to-do lists. It goes um, with, like, the political conversations, too. Absolutely, with the political. It goes with anything. And here, that means this. And yeah, so, right? It doesn't. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, we need, to, we need to be able to create guidelines. Yeah. Uh, we need to be able to create structure. If we can't do that, then we're never going to be able to create order yeah. uh, out of chaos. And so... 
define the terms and be uh, be redundant in your definition of them to make sure right like make sure i think it's our duty to make sure that the other person understands really what we're saying when we say it um and again like this this literally applies for everything right like if you order um if you if you if you if you're trying to create order then you need to be explicitly clear yeah yeah um yeah i asked you had like a two-part question and i don't know if that answered both parts i think it did yeah, yeah. you kind of just merged it in now yeah. i know that every time i text you about a question mm -hmm. your first question is what do you mean by such and such so now yeah. i'm gonna throw a definition at you as my phone Dude, I love the efficiency. Start the I love the efficiency. Webster yeah. defines Webster, yeah. Webster defines wedding as yeah. the melding of two metals together with a hot torch. Yeah. Um, In the office. Yes. Okay. I think. Yeah, I think that's huge because people like we were talking about trinitarianism and stuff like that, and it's important to understand that one point. If you, if you drop a rock, if you drop a little pebble into a pond, mm -hmm. there are effects from that. Yeah. Ripples. The ripples are not the same thing as the rock. Yeah. Even though they are necessarily an effect of the rock being dropped into the pond. Yeah. When we start throwing around terms, it's important to understand as the one speaking that the terms have their inherent value and meaning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to understand that those words, those beliefs, have implications that come with it. Yeah. Yeah. We see that all the time. There, there's dispensationalism mm. is not the same thing as penal substitutionary atonement theory. Yeah. Or yeah. premillennialism as a whole. Agreed. However, they are often grouped together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to know that as a student of life, as a, as a learner. And it's also important to understand why they're often together. Yeah. That way, when we have discussions of uh, the Calvinistic understanding of predestination, or if we have conversations about Trinitarian theology and um, how it affects our life mm -hmm. uh, or evangelism, we, we need to be aware of what we're actually saying, but also be aware of the implications of what's being said. Yeah. I, I think actually to piggyback onto the previous question of what, what, is, what is, um, what's a teacher like? I think a teacher is someone who is keenly aware and acquainted with prudence. Yeah. Um, prudence can be defined as, um, making, current decisions with care for the future yeah um or making a decision with forethought in mind yeah. we need to be aware of that um does it make things a little more complicated for us yeah yeah does that mean we shouldn't do it uh absolutely not yeah. um embrace embrace the embrace the burden embrace the the duty embrace the 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 weight of it and just do a good job yeah that's good, yeah, that's, good. that's really good well um do you have any questions casey i feel like this 
It's episode two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like I always have questions. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't think I have anything else to add to this though. Yeah. Cool. I don't think there's anything else um, necessarily pertinent. Yeah. To this. All right. Well, um, we loved having you on, man. We love getting yeah. to talk with you. It was a pleasure. Yeah. I'm probably going to text you as soon as this thing's over and pick up a different conversation altogether. <laughs> totally down. Totally down. And uh, I think, I think if, uh, if we do this again, I think it would be fun to uh, discuss topics as well. Yeah. Like, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, Cause we, we interviewed um, Alexio. Yeah last week and that was just yeah. had such a blast yeah. it's so different the the um the personality because alexio is so like bam and loud and like in your face i think casey's just like calm very collected um let me just think through the words and yeah. my sentence structure uh <laughs> <laughs> it's until he has a moon juice anyway moon juice oh my gosh Ooh, i'll tell you what Inside joke. Inside joke. <laughs> Got to get it from the teat. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> the teeter. It is a grocery store. I am not uh, frequenting any sort of uh, lower establishments. Yeah. Here in North teeter. Carolina, you know what Harris Teeter is. Okay. Such a sad Let's name. Yep. Um, in Jesus's name. So um, yeah, we were definitely going to have you on again. Um, we love talking with you. And uh, next time we will have a compiled list of questions. Love it. And, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be a fun blast. But cool. um, yeah. Casey, we love you. Love you. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Bye. Adios.